Hi, this is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift to Discerning Hearts. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Your donation is fully tax-deductible to the extent permitted by law. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue producing the type of spiritual formation programming you have come to expect from us, like those from Archbishop George Lucas, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and so many more. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. It's so wonderful to be with you. I'm so grateful that we've been able to kind of involve ourselves in this exploration of the interior castle. It's been a blessing for my life. I I hope it's a blessing for those who are listening to us. I have a sense it it truly is because this is one of those works you want to read, but it can become confusing for us. I know it was for me. I'll just speak for myself, Anthony. When I read it, I thought, okay, I am definitely in that fifth mansion. This was 20, 25 years ago. Now that I'm much older, I realized, no, honey, you were, if you got out of the second mansion, that you were lucky. It can be confusing if you don't have a really good guide, can it? It's also true, you know, we, <laughs> we kind of move around uh, this castle. The ideal is to always be progressing towards the center. Mm-hmm. But things happen in our lives. We let ourselves get distracted. And the beautiful thing about this book is you can open it up to any of the mansions and any of the chapters of the mansion and find something that helps you no matter where you are in the castle. St. Teresa of the Doctor of the Church is either giving us something that kind of encourages us to go deeper or else warns us about, you know, uh, sitting on our laurels and, or letting ourselves get discouraged. And that's one of the reasons why in the sixth mansion, which is so close to the center, I was, I was actually trying to think of what the sixth mansion is like. And if you could picture, she has an image of the soul has all these beautiful chambers and they all surround the inner chamber. And the inner chamber it is like the nave and the sanctuary of the church. The sixth mansion is like the nave of the church, and, and the seventh, w- which we're going to be entering soon, 
is the sanctuary. And from the nave, you can see into the sanctuary. But sometimes from other rooms, you can see into the sanctuary where Jesus' presence. Sometimes the Lord allows us to, to glimpse him in this innermost sanctum and in different parts of the castle of our, our soul. Teresa, she shifts. Sometimes she talks about the dwelling in this castle. In this passage, it's as if the way she sees it, the castle is God himself. You can go deeper and deeper into God himself. And so uh, you can go deep into the soul to find God. You can go deep into God and discover ever new powers and splendors of his presence. And so we've drawn close now to the innermost sanctuary, to the throne of the living God. Myriads of angels are kind of gathered around. At this stage, God can begin to communicate to us in some very powerful ways, a way so beautiful, it's confounding to the evil one, to the world, and even to yourself. And that's where she wants to take us today in the discussion on intellectual visions. We just talked about imaginative visions in the last chapter. In chapter 10, we talk about intellectual visions. Anthony, do you mind just reiterating for me again, in the imaginative, she describes how our, she even speaks, I'm going back to, to chapter 9, where she speaks about visions where people have seen things with their eyes. Am I correct remembering that? She didn't have what we would understand as clear apparition, ocular experiences in prayer. So far as we know, her experiences may have been imaginative. There are things she describes that sound like they're more than imaginative, and they also involve this intellect. So what is the imagination? The imagination, you're an internal sense. So you have external senses, your eyes and your ears and your sense of touch, your sense of taste. What you hear and see, touch and taste, these things you smell, all very bodily, and they're on the externals of your body. It's, those senses are where your body is in most contact with the outside world. And so the, the outside world kind of comes to you through your senses. What we experience in the outside world isn't what the senses are picking up on. There's, there's truth there. There's something real to see. But we also know that our senses can be very deceived and not see everything that needs to be seen. And so in order to help us make sense out of everything that is coming through our bodily senses, there's an internal sense called the imagination. The imagination takes the images you see and the noises you hear, the tastes and the touch and the smell of things around you, and it puts it together in a whole so that with your intellect, with your mind, you can understand better what's going on in the world and where your place in the world is. God can reveal himself to us through our senses. And in the resurrected body, in the new heavens and the new earth and, and the world that is yet to come, body and its senses will somehow be involved, caught up in the beatific vision in a ways that, in a way that I don't have words to describe because our body will not 
be simply the material body that we have now. It's going to be something spiritual, something better. Um, and yet it will be a real body. And so it will have external senses, but the external senses will be caught up in the beauty of God and the beauty of all the angels and saints around us. And so that's, that's what's awaiting us is that our senses will be filled, spiritualized, transformed, and filled with splendor and glory. Um, and that's what we've been created in. But not only our senses, uh, what come, as all of this glory and splendor comes to, to us through our senses, internal sense, our imagination, is going to be working to put all of this together in that sense, participating in the glory that our senses experience, participating by ordering it so our intellect can understand see face to face what God has revealed. In addition to that going on, and so this isn't either or, or in the life to come, in addition to what happens externally with our senses and with our internal sense, the imagination, another way God is going to be communicating to us in heaven is directly to our intellect. Our intellect will see God directly. Uh, without intermediate. And so over and above what our senses will see, over and above what our imagination will be putting together, our intellect will have a direct apprehension of God that will fill us with so much joy and delight and wholesome goodness and, and deep down wonder that every tear will be dried away and every desire will be fulfilled all at once forever. And, uh, and we will li live in the delight of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Uh, the reason to go through all of this, when you talk about an apparition, that is a, an extraordinary mystical phenomena that actually involves your external senses, your, your, your eyes, your ears, your sense of smell, sometimes your sense of taste, your sense of touch. Uh, and that kind of apparition does happen, although it's relatively rare. I, I've seen from a distance visionaries who claim to see our Lord. I, I guess I did meet one lady who had locutions from the Lord. Jesus spoke to her and she heard him audibly. But that's kind of rare. And usually those kind of apparitions are given not merely for the sanctification of the individual, but really for the building up of the church. And some of them are good and beautiful and very edifying, but also because your senses can be so easily deceived, the evil one can, oh, he can imitate an apparition or even your imagination can self-generate an apparition. Your imagination is so powerful, it can sometimes make you think that you see and hear things that really aren't there. So because of all that, then the church does not oblige us to believe what comes to us from the apparitions. We're asked to consider it, especially if it's something that will increase our devotion and deepen our life of prayer. We should carefully consider what somebody who claims to have an apparition says, but we're not obliged to because the church realizes that the fullness of revelation has already been given to us through Jesus Christ with the death of the last of the apostles, there's no new information to come. The Father has said everything he wants to say to us through his word. So that's apparitions. Going back to your question now, did Teresa 
receive graces in her imagination where God spoke directly into her imagination without involving her external senses. Is that a possibility? And the answer is yes. Do more people experience something like this in prayer? Yes, they do. And there's there's two kinds of graces that where your imagination, God speaks directly into your imagination. One grace is more common. It's what typically happens in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, where you employ your imagination in prayerful practices or exercises to open your heart, to dispose your heart to a deeper conversation with the Lord. And so you might ponder on a biblical scene. Well, we know that Teresa of Avila did this. We know that every night before she went to sleep, she would ponder the Jesus in the agony of the garden, you know, that this was part of her life experience. You're also, another thing that can happen besides thinking about scripture and trying to use your imagination to see Jesus in the scripture passages. You know, a cinematography has in a certain way provided us, uh, you know, group group experiences of that kind of use of the imagination. Think of all the different movies like The Passion of the Christ that was used. But in addition to that, we know that Teresa also involved her imagination besides thinking about things internally and your imagination being formed by that. God can speak through your imagination if when you're praying before crucifix and guarding with your earthly eyes a crucifix, something is being communicated into your imagination while you're looking at that crucifix, which after all is a sacramental. If you're approaching the crucifix with reverence and devotion, something of Jesus's presence, and he's fully present to you all the time, whether you acknowledge it or not, but when you're looking at a crucifix with devotion, all of a sudden a grace can be there that allows you to assent to or realize that presence in a way that you didn't before. Uh, and so we call those sacramentals. Teresa of Avila used sacramentals. We know that the image of the Ecce Womo on her way to prayer, she was on her way to pray the liturgy, the hours, and the statue of Jesus scourged and crowned with thorns uh, was there on the stairwell. She had passed it a lot of times before. This time, as she passed it, she said it, it was as if it wasn't a statue anymore. It was as if Jesus was looking at her with love and something was being communicated through that statue. Something was being communicated right into her imagination. She fell on the floor and began to weep. And she said she wouldn't get up until she was given the grace not to backslide again. That was the beginning of her conversion. So her imagination was involved with that. We also know that there were other graces where besides this kind of grace where your eyes are involved, seeing an image, it implants something in your imagination, or at least thinking of a scripture passage, it disposes your imagination. There are also what you might call mystical graces that can unfold your imagination, catch it up, uh, raise it up above itself. And we find throughout her writings descriptions of this as well. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. 
Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us. That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. These mystical graces, there seems to be two kinds of them. One kind was for her own edification. She describes somehow being pierced. And in fact, we know that her heart was actually pierced by an angelic being, by a seraph, pierced her to the heart, and that that piercing deepened her devotion to the Lord in a singular way, gave her a freedom, a spirit that she didn't have before. So it seems that something was communicated directly into her imagination, and so it was so profound that a physical effect was left in her body Namely, if you look at the relics of they discovered after her death, her heart actually was physically pierced. And so that kind of grace is, although very exceptional and very rare, 
it can happen where the Lord so communicates to you that it actually affects everything. And that kind of grace normally, it helps you draw closer to him in these deepest, most intimate chambers of the soul where he is presence is calling you. As long as you're kind of distracted by things on the periphery, you keep feel this constant pull. But if he touches you and pierces your heart through your imagination, uh, which is very different than using your imagination in your senses, but he, he actually initiates this. You can't control it. It draws you deeper. In a certain way, what she talked about in the last chapter, she talked about imaginative visions and she was talking about this realm of things. People don't always have physical things happen to their body when Jesus communicates himself this way, but they can nonetheless receive graces that change their life. And the big problem that we had in the last chapter is what happens? Should we rely on these graces? And she said, no, don't seek them out because you can be too easily deceived. But what happens when the evil one does try to deceive you? He shows you an image of Jesus um, with your imagination that is so beautiful and so captivating. Uh, you, you wonder how could it be from anyone else but the Lord? What do you do with that? You know, Do you just be suspicious of it? Do you ignore it? What do you do when something like that happens? And she said, remember, reverence the image that is given to you no matter the source. Love Jesus love the image and as you as you rouse your devotion towards the image if the image does something that changes your life and and you're never the same again as a result well then you know it was the lord and if it, it has some other effect you know that you've either self-generated it or some other evil spirit did to try to deceive you don't be attached to it we reverence images to reverence the lord that's what they're there for. Uh, and even a bad artist can produce an image that at least temporarily rouses our devotion. And thus even the evil one, he might have other plans, but I can assure you his plan was not that you rouse your devotion to Jesus and that you love Jesus more. That's what he's trying to, do, to stop. He wants you to be more attached to the image than you are to Jesus. And so that's why he gave it to you. But if you rouse your devotion to Jesus, you've defeated him. And so this is why when it came to imaginative things, there's kind of a, a detachment from what happens in the imagination itself and attachment to the one who gave it to you or the one who's being depicted at the very least. If you turn your heart to Jesus, no matter what you receive in prayer, God will always bless that. Of course, the, the things that he does in your imagination, the fruit of that can never be diminished. It's, it's always immense. Um, but even if it comes from another source, if you give homage and praise and glory to Jesus uh, for what you see in your imagination, Jesus, the glory that's given him is good for your soul. And that was her teaching. Again, the admonition, though, don't be attached to what happens in your imagination. The imagination is simply kind of a tool that God uses and that you can use. We don't indulge or attach ourselves to the things that go there because faith is deeper than our imagination. Faith touches the very substance of our soul itself. 
And so we, we need to go past the power of our imagination. And in this chapter that we're looking at, this is where she talks about another way that God can speak to us, which is analogous to what happens in the beatific vision. It's different because it's subject to time and the beatific vision isn't. This is transitory. The beatific vision is eternal. Uh, but nonetheless, something like what happens in the beatific vision for in a single instant is communicated to the soul and the soul is changed forever. And she calls this experience an intellectual vision. I want to hit upon that as much as we can in the, for this chapter 10. But if I could ask what a question, if we were in a conference setting and someone needed to raise a hand just to ask for a clarification in what you just described about how we're to be detached, as you said, in those kind of apparitions that can occur, the enemy can replicate something that is extraordinarily beautiful. And if I heard you correctly, and can cause a deception that if you attach yourself to that image, I mean, you can give it devotion, sure, absolutely, if it's a beautiful image of Jesus, and you know that, but you have to be willing to even let it go, because that's where the gift of having a superior, a director, a confessor who is journeying with you say, let it go, so that there isn't a deception. There have been cases, hasn't there, Anthony? And from good, holy, pious souls, I'm sure, who have received apparitions, but because they didn't let that go or didn't assent to an authority that could help it traverse this experience— the apparitions have led to a sad deception. So you have to be willing to let it go. Am I hearing you correctly in that? Sure. Um, you know, the, uh, in other words, the evil one is able, not only in an apparition, but also in your imagination itself, paint an image of Jesus that looks so doggone compelling and beautiful, you just want to stay with it. That's not really her counsel. And she would say that's dangerous. Don't go that way. Submit this kind of experience to a spiritual director and discern it together with a spiritual director. But this is not a safe way to go because the evil one can deceive you. Rather, and so this is a little bit complex in what I was trying to describe. On one hand, when you see something that reminds you of Jesus, always give praise and glory and thanks to him for this moment where your heart has been raised to him and for the thing that raised it. Thank you for this gift of your image that has helped me think of you, Lord Jesus. But then set your heart in the Lord Jesus. Even if the vision he gives you in your imagination, even if it is true and really his, the reason why he's giving you that gift is not for you to linger over and hang on to the gift. He wants you to open up your heart to him himself. What goes on in your imagination or even your external senses, you can, you know, it's, it's very similar. You can see a beautiful painting of our Lord and, and you just, I've got to have this painting, you know, and it's, I just have to have this, you know. Well, it's a beautiful thing to have. And if the Lord gives it to you, he gives it to you whether it's a beautiful painting or, 
or what's in your imagination. That's just the gift. That's not the giver. We set our hearts on the giver. The purpose of the gift is so that we can raise our hearts and give our hearts and welcome the giver. It's true. How we treat the gift is how we treat the giver. And so if the Lord you know, bestows something on us, we take it seriously and we, we bring it into spiritual direction. We talk about it in confession. Maybe if you don't have a spiritual director and you have a good spiritual friend, it, it's, the, it's worth kind of sharing this sort of thing so that uh, you can discern what's going on there. But then our hearts should be kind of detached from the phenomena itself. Uh, we should be detached for everything that is not God's will. God does not will us to kind of hang on to the gift with greed or gluttony, you know, spiritual greed or spiritual gluttony, hang on to that gift in a way that diminishes our freedom to cling to him and him alone. Uh, the gift is to help us cling to Jesus alone. Uh, it's not meant to distract us. So that's true of physical things that uh, stations of the cross or statues or icons. The gift raises us to heavenly things so that we can cling to the giver. It's also true of things that supernatural things that we might see with our own eyes. Uh, the gift is only meant to help us cling to the giver. And then finally, things that get imparted to us in our imagination, whether we've generated them ourselves through our own spiritual industry in prayer, or else they come to us as a sheer gift from God because we need a certain kind of grace. It's worthy to know also, and this was especially true of the imaginative visions, it's worthy to reflect on the fact that the Lord usually speaks to you in through your imagination with that kind of vision, if he does speak to you that way, Teresa will say that it's consoling, but normally that consolation that you receive, the purpose of it is to sustain you for some great trial that is about to come. And that's true of these experiences of God. When he gives you these experiences there of his presence, the purpose is to prepare your soul to follow him with and to cling to him when it's going to be very difficult to follow and cling to him. And why does he allow the difficult things to happen? He allows the difficult things to happen because it's in doing the difficult things where we're kind of pushed beyond the edge, beyond our own power. and We, we kind of come face to face with our own inadequacy and everything falls apart. It's exactly there that God accomplishes his greatest work in us and through us in the lives of others. He uses these gifts to get us there. These gifts then are means to an end. They are not the end themselves. Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, or ex thank you for expanding that for us, Anthony, because I think this is one of the reasons by, by the time you get to the sixth mansion, because we're all so uniquely created by God and our experiences, even though there may be some similarities, are still very unique for us. It truly helps to have someone guide us through it. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Lillis on St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. 
Mansion number six, chapter 10, in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.